Well, I hope you recognize that every good gift that you have received on that uh, wonderful Thanksgiving bounty when you eat it, eat it on that day, that it's all from above, really. Yeah. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And it goes on to say, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be the first fruits among his creatures. So all of God's people who are God's people said, Yay. yes, they're glad that that's true. So sorry about the distraction, technology, and uh, my weakness. I'm going to ask you to uh, do something with me this morning. Uh, we do this periodic. Oh, no, I don't want this. I don't want this yet. I need the uh, first screen of my sermon. See what I mean? So that I don't trust anything. <laughs> If you have a Bible, uh, you can open it with me, follow along. Otherwise, if you don't, in your pew, so in your uh, chair somewhere, there is a Bible that looks like this. You can pull it out. I'd like you to follow along with me as I read a particular psalm. I thought it was appropriate for two reasons. We have been, hey, we have been, um, now I've got to actually move back a little bit because I've got front row customers right here. We were just wondering about you this morning, my wife and I. I'm glad to see you. Psalm 146. Uh, we have been teaching on the subject of worship together, and uh, Thanksgiving is a good cap to that, I think, as we kind of close out that series, unless you want me to skip over Christmas and just keep going. I probably shouldn't do that, though. Christmas is a pretty important time of the year. Psalm 146 is a psalm of praise, and so even if you can't find it, would you stand with me as we read the word of the Lord together? And if you're uh, unable to stand, you're welcome to stay seated, because I know some of us uh, do have some limitations on that. Psalm 146, here's what it says, the Lord, an abundant helper. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Isn't that great? Let's praise the Lord here. The Bible says, My king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. 
no means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his firm is lighter. That's my king. I wish I could describe him to you. I love that. That's a better start, amen? Let's pray together. Lord, you are a good king. King of kings, Lord of lords, maker of heaven and earth. And not only king because you created all things, but king by right. One who came to make sacrifice for the sins of mankind, to rescue us, to ascend to heaven, to be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and one day coming, King, with all that we see around us today, maybe sooner than later, that we expect you to return. People mock, where is the promise of his coming? They have for 2,000 years, but make no mistake, God, we trust you. 
King Jesus, you will show up and set everything straight and the mouths of the mockers will be stopped and the mouths of the righteous will rejoice. And so, God, today we gather in this uh, post-Thanksgiving Sunday to give you attention. It's appropriate. We worship you. We bless you. We thank you that you're our king today and ask for the help of your Holy Spirit, both for your servant to speak and for your servants to hear. For those who are perhaps listening in, leaning in, wondering about what it means to have life eternal and be transformed by the King of Kings, give them ears to hear. We pray. In the great name of Jesus we have gathered and all of God's people said, Amen Amen and Amen. The title is based on a prayer that is in the back of your hymnal, which I tried to show you a few weeks ago, and nobody could find it because it is really well hidden in the back of that hymnal. And I got so frustrated, I put it in your bulletin today. So if you got a bulletin, you have it in your hand. And a little later, we're going to read it together. Tadeum Laudamus, which is the, O God, we praise. That's Latin. The, O God, we praise. Because we have a great king. And that's why my mind went to Psalm 146. It talks about worshiping the great king. For those of you who are visiting today, I mentioned we've been in a series on the subject of worship. And I'm going to reprise just a few things so that you're aware of where we've come from and where we're going. Because the scripture tells us, and we'll look at this verse in a few minutes, that Jesus, who is the authority on knowing God, by the way, said that the Father in heaven, the one who made everything, is looking for true worshipers, worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just give lip service, not just add some religious activity to their lives because it makes us feel good and maybe we'll earn some points with God and when we pass through death's door, maybe we'll be welcomed there because we did a few good religious acts. That's not how the gospel works. fact is we can never do enough to please God. Instead, he has provided for us the way. He has provided absolution, forgiveness for our sins if we are willing to receive it. And then the minute we do that, he gives us new life and we become true worshipers. And we can start to press in enjoying that worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So that's what this is all about. And I thought that listening to um, S.M. Lockridge, Dr. Lockridge, saying that's my king was a little bit of cool gospel preaching, baby. Wasn't that cool? You want me to do that on Sundays? I'd have to work harder on my sermons. Let me, let me tell you. I gotta, can I get a witness? Uh, amen. So where we've been, if you have your uh, little bullet in there, you'll see that this is what we've already covered. So I would say our series is long enough. I mean, this is week nine. Haven't you had enough? Okay, that's it for Christmas. We started with worship as a verb. The implication being that we're not to be just observers on Sunday, like when we go to a movie and we just observe, and maybe we get stimulated, we get excited because it was an enjoyable movie. No, worship is active. It's something we participate in. That's why the first title was based on a book title, Worship is a Verb. And our first week, we started with what's wrong with this picture, and we sneakily had Pastor Tim power wash the side of the building right in the middle of the service. What's wrong with this picture? 
And people had reasons why that wasn't a good idea, which I agree with, but we set you up. It was to make a point. You don't want to be distracted when you're trying to focus on God. He's not the only one that distracts one another, right? So we all should be conscious that on Sundays, our desire is to give attention to God and to be focused on him and not get in the way of other people being drawn in to enjoy the God of heaven. Next, we looked at fear and trembling because that is certainly a subject that um, is largely lost in our culture. We've brought God down to our level so that he's manageable. Anybody here a a fan of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan the Lion, you know, is he safe? Mr. Beaver says, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And our God in heaven is good, but he's not reduced to our chum. He's the God of heaven. He's holy, and he cannot tolerate sin. And until we fully understand that, we don't get the gospel right in our own mind. Next, we talked about it as a way of life, that God is looking for true worshipers. That was the point of the verse that we were mentioning. And in fact, uh, I'll be, in fact, I think I might have it. Uh, We'll show it in a couple of minutes. A way of life. That is, worship is not limited to what I do on Sunday morning. Everybody with me? Okay, I'm just checking. I know some of that leftover turkey is probably still having an effect, although I read this week that that's a bit of a myth. You know, chicken has just as much apparently, so don't eat chicken either. Anyway, before church. Anyway, it's a way of life. It's I'm worshiping the Lord in all that I do. I can do my job to the glory of God. Everybody get that? It's in the scripture. I can actually work to the glory of God. When Christians are enlivened and revived, employers love them. Because they do a great job to make their employer successful. That's a way of life. And then we looked at the culture of worship. And let me just remind you the story that we preached on for that one. That was the story of David offering a sacrifice to stop a plague that was striking the children of Israel. And when somebody came to him and said, here, you can have the field, you can have the wood, you can have the oxen for the sacrifice, what was David's response? I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. There's something about serving God where there is an enjoyment in sacrifice. That's a whole sermon, isn't it? I already preached it. Third, the next one was representing or representing Christ's story. When we worship this morning, we're doing that again. When we have baptisms, we're reenacting the gospel. Christ dying on the cross, being crucified, buried, rising again from the dead, enacted in water, if you will. It's a visual. It's representing the good news. When we celebrate this table, we will be once again representing the good news. Jesus gave his body, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. We are recipients, are coming to the table this morning, if you choose to do so, is to say, I have taken this life eternal into myself. I'm part of this forever family. And not only am I receiving it, but look around. We're very, very um, individualistic as Americans. But the biblical concept is, We are recipients. We're a family that are interconnected that receive this gift of life. 
representing Christ's story. By the way, my question at the end of that sermon was, instead of asking, gee, well, what did I get out of church this morning? Did they really give me any warm fuzzies or minister to me? Is how well have I done representing the gospel? How am I doing? Have I given God glory? Was he pleased with my offering of worship this morning? My singing, my recitation, whatever it might happen to be. Who is worship for? Trick question, right? Who is worship for? Yes, primarily God. But we looked at that because one of the things we forget, we think it's all for us. That's why we're looking upward again. That's why I wanted to park on fear and trembling and some of those other things so that we would see God more as he is rather than the back of our neighbor's head when we're singing. Looking up instead of around, which can be very encouraging or discouraging depending on who you're sitting near. Okay, you're all real nervous this morning. Okay. Who is worship for? It's primarily addressing God, which is why we push uh, types of songs that speak less about how I'm feeling and more about how God is, if we can, right? But also, there is a side benefit. Worship is upward, but it also does spill over sideways. Primarily God, secondarily, the sanctification of man. Remember that? The glorification of God and the sanctification of man. Who is worship for? Then we talked about sacred space. Oh, that's a fun one. Sacred space is any spot that the holy God shows up in. Now, he's everywhere. Yes, I understand. Good theology. But when God visits, when God calls out of the burning bush to Moses, that was our opening story, there, all of a sudden, take your shoes off your feet because the land upon which you're standing is what? Holy ground. And there are places where God meets with people in profound ways that we can almost say that's kind of sacred space. It's great if it happens in church buildings. There are some church buildings it never happens in. I want to see him do that more. How about you? Sacred space when he moves in. The building could be wiped off the planet tomorrow. It's irrelevant. It's simply a device for the saints who are the temple of God to gather out of the world to worship God. We have to get that right or we end up sinning against each other. Sacred space. And then last week, we talked about gathering and scattering. We gather out of the world, and guess what? At the end of this service, you know what you're going to do. You're going to scatter. I don't mean run like, you know, scared chickens. I mean, we just we scatter back out into the world, right? We go rub shoulders with our neighbors and families and workmates and whoever it might happen to be. We scatter back out into the world. And that's why last time we looked at this particular verse, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So before I shift today to my thanksgiving thoughts of gratitude for the saints to give thanks to God, which is appropriate worship, wouldn't you agree today that we give thanks to God? Anybody an objection? Oh, that's a dangerous question. What if somebody said yes? I was reminded, I just wanted to go back to this idea of when we scatter, we have opportunity to let our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. You know, in some high church contexts, 
very formal churches, there is a structure to the worship service that is designed to make people think that way. Now, because it becomes rote and tradition, sometimes people don't even think about it anymore. It's just kind of dead activity. But nevertheless, there was a design of coming out of the world, giving attention to God, right? The invocation was an upward look. There's giving of worship from us to God. There's hearing of worship from God to us in reading the scripture to the saints. Then there's celebration of the table, whether it's called sacraments or ordinance. There's an attention to salvation there. And then when they wind up at the bottom of the, of the agenda, if you will, there's a blessing pronounced on the body of Christ to send them out into the world, into mission, scattering. That's the idea, gather and scatter. So I had a really fun thing I was going to share last week, but I went so long I knew my wife was going to yell at me, so I had to stop. And you know why, right? Everybody knows why? Because we have servants downstairs this morning caring for our children, and you can only make them survive so long, right? So that's why. You people who always go, oh, you could keep preaching for another 20 minutes. No, I can't. And that would be wrong. <laughs> But here's why I had to cut this off, because we have, we have some new brethren in the congregation. So we had a brother we were visiting with a couple of weeks ago in our Bible study. So he gets, uh, gets born again, he's growing in Christ, and he doesn't know that reading his Bible during break at work is a bad idea. That's a joke. It was a great idea. And the next thing you know, he's engaged in a conversation with somebody who's saying, well, why do you need God? Why do you need God? And, we had to encourage him that even though that person was kind of antagonistic, he had done the right thing. And we encouraged him, the antagonistic person may be the next best candidate to become a believer. Why is he so agitated? There's something touching his button, baby. This is great. And it was just such an encouragement to have a brother in Christ, new in the faith, growing, doing the right thing, scattering and letting his light shine before men. Isn't that cool? That's kind of fun. So we're going to have opportunity. It's Christmas time is coming, you know. We have um, a candlelight service, which we try to make kind of traditional, which is a great opportunity to invite your friends and family members who maybe need to put their trust in Christ in a safe environment that we will make sure they have uh, appropriate literature or connecting points available for them without any high pressure, but we're going to preach the gospel and enjoy what Christ did in coming into the world. Christmas is a great opportunity to do that, so keep your, your ears open for future instruction on that. Today, Psalm 146, talking about gratitude, and uh, we're looking at Tadeum Laudamus, Thee, O God, we give praise. Let me remind you of the verses we read, and I'm going to share some other text to back up what the psalm talks about. Sometimes people think the Old Testament is one thing and the New Testament is all different. No, it's the same God and the same revelation, old to new. God is communicating reality about himself. And the saints of God, the followers of Jesus, the people who know him, have reason to give glory and thanks to God. So... If you're a note-taker in your bulletin, the first fill-in is, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Anybody ever heard of that? 
Psalm 107. That's the King James Version, by the way. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whenever you say something like that as a preacher, the congregation's supposed to say, Amen. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if I've been redeemed, I need to say so. That was so-so. Let me try that again. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Now, I'm, now I have more hope. Okay. Psalm 146 said this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Not just my mouth from the inner being. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Real faith. Versus unbelief or just trying to be religious. When saints gather together, they have reason to praise the Lord. This is the verse I referenced earlier. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. It's not just something I'm doing because I was raised in it. It makes my parents happy. I'm doing it because my soul wants to praise the Lord. Because I know what he's done. I know that I'm his. I know that he's rescued me by faith. I praise the Lord. In fact, I like this little thing that he said in that verse. I will praise the Lord while I have my being. Kind of reminds me of a missionary friend I had named Uncle Jim. We called him Uncle Jim Weber. He's with the Lord now. But um, he used to talk about giving. Like, you know, if you're a serious disciple, you give. I, I know, oh, here I come on, on Sunday with my family for the holiday and the preacher's going to be on giving again. No, I'm not. But he used to use this expression. I loved it. He says, do your giving while you're living so you know when where it's going. <laughs> do you get the point to that? People, they give these endowments to churches that have stopped preaching the gospel 20 years ago. All that money down the toilet. What a waste. Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Do your thanking and your praising while you're living. Do it now while you're alive. Give glory to God. It's a great opportunity. Listen, I was thinking about that. Some of the things that we've read out of the Rainer newsletters about worshiping the Lord. And I read this a few years ago. No, not a few. I've only been here a few years. A few weeks ago, I said, um, reading this thing about what healthy churches will look like in 10 years. Rainer on leadership number 252. This guy's prolific. Can you imagine reading all of these? I can. Anyway, every year for 10 years, these churches will have become more Joyous and fun. There it goes. Don't say anything. Every year for 10 years, these churches will have become more joyous and fun. Wow. I can't either, brother. Thank you. Want a little advertisement here? I'm shameless. Here we go. At least 80% of the worship attendants will have moved to a small group over a decade. We're going to be starting those starting in the new year, right? You need to be connected. We love being Lone Ranger Christians. Unaccountable, do whatever we want. 
brothers and sisters, I don't know how else to say this. We're all going to say, now, it's not the preacher who's going to have to answer to Jesus only. I am going to answer to Jesus, and believe me, it sobers me. But so will you. We're going to answer to him. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? Give an account of how we spent all that he gave to us, of which in America he's given us a lot. At least 50% of the attendants will have invited at least four people to church each year. (laughs) Going to start a new campaign. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I do think that that's an issue that we need to pray through. What is it that holds us back? Is the preacher so bad? Get a new one. Is it the environment? Change it. Whatever it is that makes you tentative about, do I want people to come worship with me? Let's fix it. I don't know what it is. Let's fix it. I have some ideas. This morning isn't the day. Okay. Praise the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, that was good. All right. I will praise the Lord while I have my being. Why should we praise the Lord? I'll tell you why. Because we have something to say. Do we? Yeah. If nothing else, you know, we we talk about this on occasion. We have lots of kids raised in Christian homes that go to the school, for example, and it's like, oh, you know, my testimony is so boring. Right, Tim? My testimony is so boring. You know, no testimony is boring if you have a testimony. If you're talking about being a cookie-cutter little Christianized person, maybe it is boring. But if you've gotten born again, if Christ turned the light on for you somewhere along the line, and even though you were raised in this and asked Jesus into your heart like my wife did when she was four years old, and it stuck, it stuck. Somewhere along the line, she realized, I'm really a sinner, and I've got some bondages in my life, and God delivered me. Woohoo! He's changed me. And then others of us, we know more blaringly how radical we have something to say. Look at this. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Where's our hope today? Yeah, I hope it is. I'm not sure it really is. I'm just, I'm meddling. I'm meddling. Okay. You know, I had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of food to eat over the weekend. I've had a lot of energy build up. I've just got to let it out. I'm meddling. He goes past this. How blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Is your hope in the new regime in America? Is it in the financial salvation of America? If your hope is in that, you're going to come up short, baby. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. Do you believe that? Amen. I know a lot of people who haven't been protected very well. Have you struggled through any of that with them? But for his redeemed, he wants to work in remarkable ways. You know, this idea wasn't just Old Testament. In fact, it comes out in other places. Let me just say this. 
I know that God in heaven is a God of deliverance. I know that Jesus is a genuine Savior, not only of your soul, but of your life in the here and now. I know that because of my own personal experience, but I also know it because of the experience in many other people. I get weary waiting to see his salvation. Not just person coming into faith, and thank God we've seen some of that, and we've had some baptizing, and we have some lineups, uh, people who still yet have to follow through. Yay. And that'll be great. But there's more that he's saving us from in here and now. I find the expectation kind of low in Americans' churches. Expectation for God to rescue or deliver. Do you remember um, a week or two back, I quoted Luke 4.16, and I was preaching. I do that on Sunday mornings. I was preaching because Luke 4.16 said, he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he was brought up. Anybody remember? He went on the Sabbath into the synagogue, as was his... Ah, thank you. It was his custom. Guess what comes right after that? Here it is. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. No wonder he got killed. (laughs) I was recently at at a funeral for a family member over in Danbury. We're in this um, Catholic mass together. And as the Mass was being prepared, the priest led in a liturgical prayer. Everybody knew it by heart, but I don't think they realized how profound it was. When he said, and maybe they did, I hope so, he was quoting the scripture. The centurion who had a sick servant and went to Jesus and begged for help. Anybody remember that story? And Jesus said, I'll come. And the Jews were gathered around and said, you know what? You ought to help this guy. He loves our people. He donates to the synagogue. I mean, he really has watched out for you. He's a good man. And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to come. And the centurion stops Jesus on the way. Anybody remember this? He said, don't, don't. Lord, you are unworthy to come under my roof. Huh? Oh, did I say that? You all knew that was a mistake, right? Okay. And so in this Mass, as we're about to partake of communion, the prayer was, Lord, I am unworthy for you to come under my roof, but say the word, speak the word, and your servant will be healed. I was listening to that, I'm going, whoa. When we gather around even this table, when we worship our Savior Jesus, do we have an expectation that we can actually be healed? 
all the things that were once considered sin in our culture. Remember the lists, the seven deadly sins and things like that? None of that's sin anymore. It's all been whitewashed in our culture. Now you have to have a drug to help you with that or a support group or whatever. Where is the Savior? Can he free me from this stuff? I'm telling you he can. But our expectation hardly exists. My take on it, correct me if I'm wrong. The gospel is a gospel of salvation and rescue. And we even model it. We act it out, if you will, as we celebrate communion. Well, our second point was we have something to say. Let him rescue you. You'll have something to say. Let him rescue you in salvation. Let him deliver you from your bondage, whatever it is, your control, pride, your lust, sensuality. Fill in the blanks. You've got to give it a name if you want to repent of it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why? Because we have something to say. Let him work on your behalf. Isn't it amazing that the God who loves us is willing to work on our behalf even though we're so stinking stubborn? You know, I'm talking about you, right? And me. And me. That was a little humor. Very little. Last thing. When it's all been said and done. Here's what the the psalm that we read said. The Lord will reign forever. Thy God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. I did hear a response from you on that. He will reign forever. Thy God, to all generations, praise the Lord. And I heard people say, Amen. Aren't you glad that he is, in fact, the coming king? Scripture tells us that he will, in fact, reign forever. That for us, we who have put our trust in the word of God and in Jesus personally, eternity is a sealed deal. No worries. The eternal covenant-keeping God cannot lie. He's not a man that he should lie. He will keep his promises, and all those who have put their trust in him, he will most assuredly rescue. Here's a description out of many texts that talk about Jesus' return, right? When the Son of God, the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will gather before him. He will separate them one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Everybody recognize this? Some dispensationalists say this isn't talking about final whatever. I don't care. It's still a good picture of what... It's going to happen. So what's going to happen? I love this line. The king will say to those on his right, come. Here's what he's going to say to his children. Come, you who are blessed of my father. If you're in Christ, you're blessed of the father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is a sealed deal. It's absolutely assured. We have reasons to praise God. Why would you all get real quiet? Isn't that good news? It is true, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, because we have something to say, and when it's all been said and done, it's a settled, sealed deal. Eternity is secure for the children of God. 
We're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. I'm going to ask uh, some folks to come help. I think we got short change because we were short in the nursery. So if we have uh, Elisa Vizetha. Oh, I got two ladies. Come on up. Yep, you're on. Deaconesses are going to help me. And um, I'll need two guys. Maybe Derek, are you free? And yes, brother, come on up. What I'd like you to do with me, if you would, as part of worship, all your notes are filled in. If you take out of your bulletin today, I think it's appropriate for us to praise the Lord, not just for me to praise the Lord here in front of you and you follow along and say amen, but for you to actually say it. So let's take this and let's stand together and we're going to read it as a prayer to glorify God. Can we do that together? Then I'll have you sit down, and we're going to worship around the Lord's table by coming forward today. Don't feel pressured in any way to come. If you are a believer in Jesus, unless you're running from him as fast as you can, he's inviting you to come. In fact, even if you're running from him, he's inviting you to turn around. That's why we do this on a regular basis, to invite us to come and get reconciled with him. That's what's represented in partaking in the Lord's table. Today, I'm right. Let's start at the top. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. All the earth doth worship thee, the Father everlasting. To thee all angels cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. To thee cherubim and seraphim continually do cry, holy, holy, holy. Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of thy glory. The glorious company of the apostles praise thee. The goodly fellowships of the prophets praise thee. The noble army of martyrs praise thee. The holy church throughout all the world doth acknowledge thee. The father of an infinite majesty thine adorable, true, and only Son, also the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Thou art the King of glory, O Christ. Thou art the everlasting Son of the Father. When thou tookest upon thee to deliver man, thou didst humble thyself to be born of a virgin. When thou hast overcome the sharpness of death, thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Thou sittest at the right hand of God in the glory of the Father. We believe that thou shalt come to be our judge. We therefore pray thee, help thy servants, whom thou hast redeemed with thy precious blood. Make them to be numbered with thy saints in glory everlasting. O Lord, save thy people. Bless thy inheritance. Govern them. And lift them up forever. Day by day we magnify thee. And we worship thy name ever. World without end. Vouchsafe, O Lord, to keep us this day without sin. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Lord, let thy mercy be upon us as our trust is in thee. O Lord, in thee have I trusted Let me never be confounded. And all of God's people said, 
Amen to that. You may be seated. Worship team, 